0: Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, May 22, 2022. It focuses on Elisha's service as a prophet of God in Israel. The message to all who will listen is God is the one who works in and through his people in all circumstances, both the big and the small. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. hear God's Word? Okay. God, thank you that you are in this place and in all places and that you are great. Remind us of that today. Not only that you were great in olden times, thousands and thousands of years ago, but that you're great in this moment and every moment that we draw breath. In each we find ourselves in each situation we find ourselves that you're with us and you are great and you have more than enough power to take care of us we don't have to depend on our own strength which is next to nothing we can depend upon you in Jesus name amen now I don't expect you to answer this question but I just want you to think about it How did you get the job that you got when you first headed out into the workplace? I'm guessing that you heard about an opening, you filled out an application and submitted it, or maybe you sent a letter of inquiry and a resume, and then you waited for an invitation to interview or an invitation to come to work. I know there are variations on the theme, but this is generally how things work in the United States of America. You want a job, you apply, you interview, you're offered the job or you're not. I did not get hired at Wendy's. After jumping through all their hiring hoops, I guess I was just not fast food material. I'll let them off the hook though, because they're young workers now. They give me a senior citizens discount without even asking how old I am. (laughs) I guess I look old enough. <laughs> anyway, most of the time we kind of have to jump through these hoops and we have to do it the same way. Uh, no one gets a job generally by picking up Thor's hammer or by pulling a sword out of a stone, things like that. That's not generally how things work. We go through this process. Well, the profit that we're going to look at today and talk about today entered the truth speaking for god profession if that's what you want to call prophecy he entered that in a way that's vastly different than the usual process the story of his initiation into this calling is found in first kings chapter 19 verses 19 to 21 and i'm going to read those verses to you as a way of introducing the man this passage comes on the heels of Elijah's encounter with God on Mount Horeb, which we talked about a week or two ago. If you remember, there were instructions given to Elijah about three guys that God wanted him to anoint. Two were to become kings, another was to become a prophet, and we read those words last week in preparation for talking about the context into which Micaiah stepped as prophet, And so we're going to read them this week because we just kind of referred to them last week. So let's start at verse 19, 1 Kings 19, verses 19 through 21. It says this. So Elijah went from there, that is from Mount Horeb, and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant." Elisha, you've heard of this guy? Maybe. Maybe you've gotten him mixed up with his mentor once or twice. Elijah and Elisha kind of sound a lot alike. And I remember as a kid getting confused once in a while and wondering which one I was thinking about. Or maybe I didn't even notice. Be that as it may, I love Elisha. From the moment God calls him, he is absolutely all in. He runs home after hearing Elijah's invitation, slaughters the oxen that he's been using to plow. They had 12 sets. He was driving the 12th one. He kills those oxen that he's been working with, and he has a big cookout. There's burgers and steaks for everyone, and the the fire is fueled by the broken-up equipment that he's been using. He has no place to go now except to follow Elijah. He's taken everything that he's used that he could earn money with, and he's burned it up. His stuff's gone, and he's all in to follow Elijah. Actually, to follow God. I'm reminded of a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, which John recorded for us. In John chapter 6, we find many followers of Jesus are turning back from him, they're offended by what he's just said. They walk away because in their minds, this guy has flipped his lid, he's gone crazy, he's saying dumb stuff, and they're just not sure anymore. As the crowds walk away, Jesus asked Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew and James, there were two of them, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas, a question. That's the twelve, by the way. Let me read the question and then hear Peter's reply from John chapter 6. This is verses 67, 68, and 69. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. All in, right? That's Peter and all the rest at that time. Yes, Peter denies Jesus in a moment of weakness later on when when he's going to be crucified. And yes, Judas betrays him. But when Peter, with a puzzled look, asks, who are we going to go to? You've got the words of eternal life. They're all nodding. Yeah, we're with you. We're in. They've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. God is always pleased with those who opt to jump in with both feet. They're put forward in both the Old and the New Testaments as the kind of people that God loves and protects and honors and leads. Are you all in? Do you love the Father enough, love Jesus enough, love the Spirit and His ways enough to go where God wants you to go and do what He wants you to do and say what He wants you to say? In every moment of every day, sometimes he asks hard things. Are you still in? Some of you remember the Mary Brown hymn written around the turn of the century I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. Probably should add a verse I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, even if it's next door or around the corner. I hope that those words express your devotion to God they are words which the disciples of Jesus and the man of God that were focused on today would gladly have sung Elisha would have sung that now we're not done with Elisha's initiation as prophet yet I told you that the way that he got the job was a little bit different than most and the more famous part of his induction is found in second Kings chapter 2 Elijah and Elisha have been walking together for some time. The younger man has learned much about hearing the voice of God from the elder. They are among a larger group of prophets, and the guys in this company of prophets keep telling Elisha, probably quietly whispering in the corner, telling him that their mentor is about to be permanently departed from the land of living. Elisha, whom God has likely revealed this to already, keeps shushing them as he pays attention and stays close to Elijah. So let me read what comes right after this. There's this conversation that you and I need to hear and an event which seals Elisha's spot as the next great man of God. I'm reading 2 Kings 2, verses 9 to 15. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? So Elijah already knew what's going on anyway, right? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. Crazy story, right? God takes one faithful servant to heaven in a fiery chariot with fiery horses and sends another faithful servant to continue the work which the other had begun. Elisha asked for a double portion of spirit. Elijah said he could have it if he saw him leave. And God fulfills that. And does Elisha get what he asked for? that's what we're going to investigate this morning so let's rewind just for a second and talk about what god did through elijah in his life elijah prayed and it didn't rain elijah was fed by ravens and then when he went to zarephath he came to that widow's house and the oil and the flour never ran out as long as the the drought was going on Then he went to mount carmel and he called down fire from heaven to prove that god was god and baal was not and then he prayed and rain returned that's pretty much elijah's lifetime pretty awesome stuff right god's working through elijah so elisha has now parted the jordan river by the lord's power speaking to the water and striking it with elijah's mantle the cloak which had fallen to the ground from the fiery chariot and all that stuff Not a little thing, right? Any of you ever parted a river and walked through on dry land? I haven't either. Uh, Certainly evidence enough that God was with the man, but not exactly a double portion. Think of all the things that had happened that God had done through Elijah. Still not on equal footing. God is just getting started with this guy. We're not going to cover every story from Elijah's life which shows God's power at work, but we're gonna cover enough to see that the mentored prophet got what he asked for, that double portion of Elijah's spirit. So let's start with the two stories which follow immediately on the heels of the section of 2 Kings 2, which we just read. If you'll find verse 19, we're gonna start there and read through the end of the chapter. The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well-situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, baldy. They said, get out of here, baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And he went on to Mount and from there returned to Samaria. First, the water story. Elisha knows what to do in the scenario because he is tuned into God's voice. He tells the people what the Lord says. And then he does what the Lord commands him with the salt and the water. And God does the miracle. This is not just a water softener, I'm telling you. This is God doing a miracle in that land. He cleans up all the water so that the land can then produce the crops that they need. And it's not just for that moment. It says that it remains to this day. Whenever this was written down, whenever the person who is recording these things for us, whenever God inspired that story, we know at that time it was it was still pure, and the people were still having a productive land, and perhaps even today that water is still pure. I don't know <laughs> what exactly it was. So when you and I need a situation fixed, we would do well to turn to God in prayer, just as Elisha did. He's the only one who can bring about lasting results. Yeah, we can fix things, but God can fix these things permanently. And then there's the bears in the woods story. Goldilocks and the three bears, this is not. Elisha, who I guess looks more like Sheldon than like me, endures a bit of ridicule and again turns to God. I ask permission. (laughs) I know this is hard to understand, but he curses his tormentors in the name of the Lord, and a lot of them find themselves in the center of a bear bawling frenzy. Two things here. First, never tease a bald guy who loves the Lord. (laughs) You see that, right? And second, trust God to take care of any slights loved your way or his. I'm not sure exactly why God sent bears and caused such great harm to these boys, but it's likely that these boys were mocking God and not just his prophet. Perhaps their words were blasphemous. Whether that's the case or not, I am confident that God was right in his judgment because he's always right in his judgments. Bear this in mind and trust God while watching your words carefully when you speak about him. That takes care of chapter 2. There are 8 more chapters in which Elisha appears in 2 Kings. 8. In most of those chapters, there's a miracle story. In many, there are more than one. In the chapters which don't include a mighty act of God, Elisha is speaking truth to people faithfully. And what he says is coming to pass. Obviously, we cannot cover every bit of chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 13. I'll cover a few of the things from which we can learn parts of the narrative which will show how great our God is and how he can use a man or a woman who submits to him for the good of his people and for God's glory. If you're a believer and you are filled with the Spirit of God, he can use you for his glory and for the good of his people. The ways that he uses you won't likely look like the ways he used Elisha because he has things for you to do that are different than what Elisha had to do. But God's power will be seen in you as you submit to his will and follow him. You ready for the Cliff Notes version of Elisha's life? That's all we have time for today. I'm going to jump and skip throughout the stories. And rather than focus on the big stories, we're going to look at some of the little things that God did through Elisha. And my hope is that together that we'll see God's goodness and greatness as he works in and around and through his prophet Elisha. So I'm going to take us first to the end of chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 42 and read through the end of the chapter there as well. So read with me 2 Kings 4, 42 through 44. 2 Kings four forty two to 44 says this, A man came from Baal-shalisha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over then he said it before them and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the lord most of you know the story about jesus feeding five thousand plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish and a short time later in another location likely in a foreign land he fed four thousand plus with seven loaves and a few fish And in both instances, every man, woman, and child who was there ate their fill and there were baskets of leftovers. How many of you knew that there was a story like that in the Old Testament? I'm guessing maybe a few of you did, but not many. Don't you think it's good that God has shown his power in this way in both parts of the Bible so that we can know that he's the one who provides for us? You know, every time we have a potluck, I say, even if you didn't bring food, come to the basement and eat. I say that with confidence because every single time, even if there were 5,000 people, I figure God can take care of it. And yeah, maybe somebody will say, well, people just brought enough food. Well, yes, but God provided that food, prompted those people to cook that food, so we had enough. So always come for potlucks and always stay because God is a provider. And we can trust him for his provision. Can God meet your needs? Yes, a hundred times yes. Four thousand times yes. Five thousand times yes. When you're not sure if you can make it to the end of the month, pray. Express thanks to God for his goodness and ask for what you need. And sometimes you probably just need to ask your friends as well. Because as believers, we ought to be sharing with one another. Never be afraid to plead your case before God because he cares for you. Jesus said, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and your body more than clothes. The answer is obviously yes. And then he added at verse 33, this is Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Those who love God can trust him to meet their needs. He is more than able to provide through a job or through a miracle of multiplication or through the generosity of believing friends. All of these means he uses to help. If you're in need, ask. All right, we're going to jump over chapter 5, and we invite you to read along with me the first few verses of chapter 6. This is 2 Kings 6, verses 1 to 7, and it's in these verses that we find this simple story of a normal everyday problem taken care of by God. Here we go. 2 Kings 6, starting at verse 1. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan, began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my lord, he cried out, it was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it out. All right, ducks float, boards float, styrofoam floats, boats float, axe heads float. What? (laughs) Only God can make that last one happen. I have never seen an axe head float. I have never seen a car float. elisha listens to god and does as god commands and the iron rises from the watery depths do you think of god as one who cares about the little things in your life you borrowed a tool from somebody and it's lost where is it god knows do you know him as the one who can make things like this happen i remember happening upon a woman years ago outside an apartment complex who had misplaced her keys she was frantically looking for them everywhere and i asked if i could pray with her about her keys and her response was i don't want to trouble god about something that small (laughs) god is not troubled at all by things big or small he cannot be troubled because he has all the power in the world and he knows all the things in the world how can you trouble a god who actually is god God has power to spare. He knows things that you don't know. How could he be troubled by anything? Ask. Am I repeating myself? I think I said ask earlier. Ask. One more story. This is from the end of Elisha's life and beyond. We're skipping over to 2 Kings 13 for this final installment. I'm starting at verse 14, and we're going to continue through verse 21. So 2 Kings chapter 13, 14 to 21, begins like this. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel elisha said get a bow and some arrows and he did so take the bow in your hands he said to the king of israel when he had taken it elisha put his hands on the king's hands open the east window he said and he opened it shoot elisha said and he shot the lord's arrow of victory the arrow of victory over aaron elisha declared you will completely destroy the arameans of aphek then he that is elisha said take the arrows and the king took them elisha told him strike the ground the king struck it three times and stopped the man of god was angry with them and said you should have struck the ground five or six times then you would have defeated aram and completely destroyed it but now you will defeat it only three times elisha died and was buried now moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring once while some israelites were burying men suddenly they saw a band of raiders so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's buttons, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. <laughs> oh, man. Crazy, right? Elisha goes out prophesying. His last words are predictions about future conflicts and how they would be won or lost and then in a twist that nobody could possibly see coming, God's last hurrah in this man's life is a resurrection of a dead man who happens to fall on his bones. Here's the truth that can't be missed in examining Elisha's life. And remember, we've missed a whole lot of stuff. God can do amazing things to a person who's completely submitted to him. Or as we called it earlier, all in. Could Elisha make water clean on his own? No. But God could do it and did do it through him because he was obedient. Could Elisha cause bears to suddenly appear out of the woods and maul a bunch of unruly and most likely blaspheming boys? Same answer, no. Elisha could not do any of the things that he did. It was God who was acting. It is God who acts in each and every case. God is the one who deserves the glory when he works in and through his people. When he provides for you, do you honor him and praise him? When he works a miracle, whether it's big or small in your life, do others hear your thanksgiving and bless God along with you? God is good. He is great. His name is to be praised for his mighty deeds. He is our strength and our salvation, the God in whom we trust. Amen? Let's worship him and give thanks to him as we close our time together today. Let's recognize his goodness toward us and acknowledge his greatness. He has done great things. He will continue to do great things. Think on the things of God and think about who he is and find joy in him. As we take just a few moments of silent worship, let your hearts well up with joy and thanksgiving and praise to God for his greatness and his goodness. And if you have needs, take those to him and ask. I think that message came through. If we ask, God can provide. Let's take a few moments. Help our souls to sing of your greatness and to trust you this week. Help us to be obedient to you so that you can work through us. God, whatever needs fixed this week, help us to turn to you and acknowledge our weakness and your strength. You are a good, good God. You care about your people, and through your people, you show yourself. Help us to be a part of that this week. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.